Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bench Units podcast. Uh, I am back. I regret to inform you that I am not Mendel. Um, we are back to our regularly regularly scheduled programming. Uh, it's me, James McSorley, back you with are. you with Mark Schofield as always. And we're going to talk about the Paralympics. It feels like I haven't done this for a month because I don't think I have. I think it's, go, been, Mark? it's been about three weeks since we had you on an episode, I think. I'm now the I'm now the last living um, bench units member who's appeared on every episode, but I think that title probably com- pales in comparison to the title of Paralympic bronze medalist. Which I thought you were going to introduce yourself as Paralympic bronze medalist, as if it had now replaced the Mister in your name. Yes, I do wonder. Like people have asked me, the way you see people who will write like O L Y at the end of their name as like Olympian as an official title, but I don't okay. know if. I don't know if there's anything for Paralympians and it, maybe it's because nothing sounds cool no, when you're talking about being a disability sports person. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I always thought the move was to go like name, you know how in America they'll do like city, comma, state, but read it out as if it's all one thing. Yeah, I, wonder I hate if that. You, if you, you could be like, either way around, you'd be like James McSorley, Paralympic bronze medalist, or Paralympic bronze medalist, James McSorley. You could make people save the, save you in their phone with that comma-separated version of your name. Yeah, even though there's an emoji of it, <laughs> just like force the whole thing through. No, I, I, you're talking about that thing that they do for American like city and then states. Like The worst thing in the world is when they do that with random cities in Europe. They'll be oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah. is James from Belfast, Ireland. You know, like, it's just Belfast, <laughs> or you know what I mean. Like, there are no states. Like, if you wanted to be like, this is Mark from Halifax, Yorkshire. Like, yeah. that's more accurate than saying Halifax, England. Yeah, like, it's it's the same it's thing. But like, like, come on, man. What are we doing? Also, the couple of times I've um, had to write in text form that I'm going to Belfast in the near future. Every time I um, type Belfast, the suggested next word is Maine, which is, I think, a state up on the northeast coast near Massachusetts somewhere. So if, yeah, if you didn't get introduced as being from Belfast Island, there'd probably be a decent number of Americans who are like, hey, this guy doesn't sound like he's from near Boston. Yeah, I know there's Bel- I know there's a Belfast in Maine, and I know there's probably a fair few others on account of a lot of Irish people having having left and gone to America yeah. back in the day. We'll not talk about why. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll move it on to basketball. We should. Um, yeah. Should, should, we, should we talk about the Paralympics? Yeah, let's do it. You've had probably the most important like event of your life just gone by, and you've probably got, no- you've got another one coming up soon, but I think we'll cover that in a future podcast. Probably, yeah. So... Yeah, that was nuts. Um, the reason I did not podcast the whole time is that there were very specific rules about what you could and couldn't do and could and couldn't say and what you were allowed to give people access to. And because obviously you didn't want to step on the toes of like actual media partners that had spent lots and lots of money to have access. And it's not that I wasn't allowed to podcast. It's that I couldn't exactly figure out what I was and wasn't allowed to do. And it was just like way safer to not get into some protracted legal battle with someone serious to yeah, talk crap about basketball to 60 people like <laughs> i was like i'll tell you when i get back i was trying to explain to mendel when he was on that it had been like escalated up to the big wigs of the iwbf and the ipc to see if you were able to do it and we were trying to work out between us what would be like if they just randomly sampled some episodes to see the various bits and be like, can we take these guys seriously? What was like the worst collection of things they could they could have landed on? I think it's the Tom Smith intro would have been if they'd have just picked that episode in the first minute and been you trying not to laugh at all the stupid stuff we'd written down about Tom Smith. They would have just been like, get this guy out of here. Don't even let him compete. Yeah, I, I just love the idea of them listening to that and be like, yeah, you're allowed to do this on one condition. We must meet this Tom Smith guy. <laughs> oh, oh, I love it. Or them just being like, why do they talk about Tony Hawk so much? That's not even a basketball player. Do yeah. they mean Tony Parker? Are well, they okay? The, the three people that matter most to these guys are Tom Smith, Tony Hawk, and Liam Neeson. We're not allowed to mention Liam Neeson anymore, are we? 
But yeah. God, imagine if that's what got us done in and be like, yeah, we don't really care about any of the media stuff, but you can't talk about Liam Neeson anymore. He did a bad thing. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll shift on from there because I feel like even mentioning Liam Neeson three times now, we're probably in a, on thin ice at this point. We don't want to summon him. Uh, <laughs> to put it all too bluntly, how was the Paralympics? Uh, yeah, not bad. Uh, no, it was like a singularly mad experience. Like, I think the scale of it was what blew me away. Like, I'd been to high-level wheelchair basketball tournament because it's like the same teams that are at Worlds. So kind of whatever. Obviously, like, the basketball stuff, in theory, shouldn't feel any different. And the five-on-five on court actually doesn't. Um, Courts are nicer, arenas are bigger, stakes feel higher if you are the sort of person that holds that in your mind while you're playing. But it was everything else away from it that was completely insane. Like the village was unbelievable. Like all the little things that people talk about with like the food hall being a cool experience and all the sort of staff and the volunteers being really, really cool and really welcoming. That was amazing. Obviously the hospitality in Japan in general is something that we'd experienced before and it was unbelievable. But to have that on that scale was yeah, it was amazing. Um, just to be a part of something as well that was bigger than us in wheelchair basketball. Like I wasn't sure that we were going to get this sort of collective experience that you're meant to get from being a part of Paralympics GB in a normal year, for example. And it was it was it was brilliant. Like obviously there was a bit of mask wearing and hand washing and distancing and certain amount like certain amounts of people only allowed to be in rooms at the same time and we things like that obviously to keep people safe and i think by and large people were kept safe so job done but yeah you know we had little things like you'd come down from your your room to go to a game or to go to breakfast or whatever and there'd be different athletes hanging around in the lobby and they'd just be like hey what are you doing today oh good luck cool happy days oh i saw you won yesterday well done mate Blah, blah, blah. Just little bits like yeah, that, which cool. is really, really cool. And I imagine, like I've heard from the guys that have done them before, that this was about as cool as they as it could have been considering all the COVID restrictions and that they did an unbelievable job to kind of give everyone the experience that being a Paralympian deserves. Sure. Um, but it also made me absolutely want to do a normal one, just so I yeah. can see what it's like when they just completely take the shackles off and let people just roam around because there was a little bit of obviously not even imposed stuff more than the washing hands and the two meters and like stuff that you have to do when you go to the shop anyway, but just kind of self-imposed within your own sport because you want to be able to put five people on court at once and you want to be able to play games. And just above that, you want to keep healthy and you want to keep your teammates and friends and other strangers healthy because that's what the respect people deserve so there were little bits of trying to be sensible and like yeah but even when you get into the tournament you're not like dying to go out and go and see this thing or do this thing anyway like you're kind of you kind of get launched from one game to another like because you play a game a day like you finish one game and your post-game recovery is your pre-game prep immediately anyway so you know you're finishing a game and you're doing all your physio stuff with your recovery, you're eating well, you're ice bathing, you're doing a game ready, like, you know, you're kind of icing and yeah. making sure you eat and sleep and stretch out and do all the things that you need to do to get back on court. So you kind of, just the momentum carries it forward once the game's started. But those first couple of days were really, really fun. Just kind of looking around being like, this is nuts. And we also had the, added thing of like a couple of our guys got out there a couple of days before us so they were all like okay so here's what we find like here's the best way to do this here's the best place to sit here here's the here's the way to sort of make sure you get this or here's where you need to go for this so it was cool we kind of had a bit of a we had people going ahead and scouting but the experience absolutely unbelievable and it kind of i don't know what a normal games is meant to feel like but it kind of looked like what I thought it would. Did that come across on TV? Obviously, apart from sort of empty stands, it kind um, of yeah. The, right. the empty stands thing. I don't think even really stands out when you're watching games or like sport in general anymore because there's been so many empty stands for so long. 
Yeah, and also no one watches wheelchair basketball anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, there is that. Um, although, no, to be fair, it's interesting because doing my homework for a couple of games I was interested in and before me and Mendel did the predictions and stuff, um, I went back and watched some Hamburg World Championships games and it's like the place there was rammed, which seems... Yeah. I don't even remember that. It's weird how you don't remember fans ever being there and then as soon as you see like i'm sure no none of these people really care about wheelchair basketball but um yeah i mean it looked like maybe uh maybe because the olympics had gone ahead of it and i had not been working a great deal during the olympics been on i spent a lot of time watching that stuff maybe i was tuned into it already at that point but yeah it just looked like a normal tournament taking place and like you say the most people who were playing out on the floor anyway aren't conscious of the stakes of the game at any given point or not unconscious but aren't actively thinking about them yeah you don't see quality dip at all um there's a couple of moments where i think it'd been cool to have fans in the stand um when you guys pulled the win out over australia and over the usa and they were by one each that would have been cool to have people instantly there uh, yeah. Rio hit that big and one and then shushed the non-existent would have been home crowd supporting him that was yeah. <laughs> weird and I would have liked to have seen very that there's no one there and if they were there they would have been like yay this is great <laughs> 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 um, yeah I would have liked to have seen a very confused Japanese public try and work out how to respond to that but um, yeah no it, my next question was going to be, having been through this, do you feel like you've got at least three more years in you? But you've kind of answered that as you've, um, as you've been talking there. So I think James to Paris 2024, hopefully, is the message to take out of this one. Uh, I would certainly like to be involved, and I don't see any reason that I won't at least be in consideration for selection in three years' time because I don't plan on not playing and I don't plan on getting worse like everyone else might get better like I you don't know what's going to happen in three years obviously a lot of mad stuff can go on but I I would love to be there and I would I'm going to do whatever I can to to get involved so yeah man it's it's very it's like there's a lot of people I would say that the people who the extra year didn't put off like there's I know there's a couple of people especially in the women's side that retired before this games because they had kind of set a deadline in their head, whether it was for like just personal reasons or like family planning stuff. I know there were a couple of people that that was a factor for in the women's game. And I'm sure there's a couple of people in the men's game that had similar stuff that they had spoken to their loved ones and been like, no, I'm going to 2020 and that's it. But anyone who hung around is probably like, ah, three more years, man. Like that's not even a full cycle. Like I think if you're a multi-time Paralympian and you've had, just this like four year repetitive cycle and you kind of know that it's an absolute slog. I wonder if there's people looking at it being like, eh, you know, European in about three months, then world's next somewhere. And then you're into the back end of it anyway. So you're like one season away from kind of being over the hill in this cycle. So I wonder if everyone's going to just stick around. Like, I don't know how many people are going to retire in between. Yeah. I I did wonder that because I, I was trying to keep track in my head of who might be retiring after all of these. And there's like between kind of Turkey, Canada, Australia on the men's side and a couple more, maybe some of the US guys as well. Um, There's like a good chunk of people who've been around for the entire time I've been watching. And you do think like, half of those guys could decide to carry on for three years or all of them could decide to pack it in or all of them could decide to carry on. And it like drastically alters the landscape in almost any of those, um, any of those formulations, which is kind of mad to say we're talking about guys who should be on the way out. Like go retires, Turkey probably don't make whatever the next, I think Turkey will make the world championships because there's so many European teams. But like if Goblat retires following this, like Turkey probably don't even go to Paris, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, unless some of the young guys really just take over. But I think there's a thing of like a team that is so sort of heliocentric. Yeah. Built around one guy, like they might take a 
couple of years of adjusting i don't know obviously there's a lot of still a lot of talent there but i wonder if they're kind of just like okay here's the keys who wants to drive like rather than like redistributing everything and like there's a way that you get five talented guys on the floor and you figure it out with them but i don't know if that's easy to do after so long but yeah be interested to see if anyone kind of hangs it up because as i say it is right around like worlds is next summer which is wild although i wonder if that is simultaneously the reason why a lot of people wouldn't but the reason why some people are just like oh because <laughs> like not another like, world championships yeah like i wonder if other other people from other nations are like yeah nah <laughs> no i'm yeah. all right i do and i i think um it, there's kind of at least a handful of guys in each team that must be considering it i think for whatever reason, the um, the GB kind of old guard all seem slightly more prone to sticking around. Retirement seems like way less of a question. Maybe that maybe you can shed some more light on that if you know better, or maybe it's not for us to say at this point. But I don't know. Looking at some of the teams that we're less closely interlinked with, it does seem like there's a bunch of guys who could go either way, and it makes you wonder if the world's is like say only a matter of months away at this point how different it could look it might be the single biggest shift year to year in tournaments that we've ever seen really yeah i don't i don't know like i i know about as much as anyone who has access to the internet and follows the other gb guys on social media in terms of whether anyone's gonna sort of sack it all off um and that isn't me being like, hey, I'm not telling you, but also like if someone told me and they hadn't announced it yet, it's yeah. definitely not oh, my yeah. job to no, tell no, anyone. But like, I don't see, I, I don't know, I don't know who's going to retire and I'll, or if anyone is. And the other thing I guess is that anyone's actual coach can be like, listen, man, I know we've got a world championship next year, but we've got Paris in three years. And yeah we need to move like you know there might be guys that would be good for the world championships next year but if it was a four-year cycle you like a coach might have retired someone and maybe they still think that they need to do the program the service of moving people along yeah i don't like this is not me saying that that's a thing that i knew was happening but i wonder if that is because that's like historically coaches yeah don't don't like don't let the one year offset skew the skew the kind of bigger picture i guess yeah if you would have if you would have moved people on last year maybe maybe people still will but i don't know like i don't i I didn't really see anyone that i was like this guy just doesn't have it anymore you know what i mean like it's not like i'm looking at some of the older boys being like yeah he needs to go also a lot of wheelchair (laughs) basketball guys kind of know when to see themselves out like historically people have kind of dipped out at a pretty good time and it's like people have kind of felt like they could contribute if they were sticking around. And also sure. people don't just pick random, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like coaches of like good national teams, pick the players that they have to pick like, so, or that they yeah. should pick. Yeah. I think it is interesting. It's um, there was the, one of the things I didn't know about before the tournament was a guy from South Korea who was 49 years old. 40, yeah. 48, 49. And yeah, he did he not look, he did not look his, that old made his um, Paralympic debut the same year as Terry, but I think because of South Korea not being as deeply embedded has only been to, I think it said three Paralympics that that guy's been to. Yeah. <laughs> but the idea that he started out at the same time as Terry is like 12 years older than he is and has been to half the number of Paralympics. It's like, what is the mathematics going on behind this thing? So like, yeah. that guy, like, I can't believe this. This whippersnapper Terry Bywatt has been to double the number of Paralympics I've been to. I'm sticking around for three more. Yeah. I heard from someone who had played with someone who had played with Kim, the other Korean forward, yeah. that that 48-year-old when he was young, when they like didn't have a national team, was unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know, like it was just like anecdotally that anecdotally I heard that Kim was like, Yeah, this guy was absolutely class. Like just Human. so so good but didn't have anyone around them yeah. to like have a team to play like they just yeah it's kind of like how um how every what do you call it every couple of years in like the international not international sorry in like the domestic leagues 
there'll be like a kid signs in Germany who will be like 23 and just like arrives on the scene and is awesome. And everyone's like, where's this guy been? It's like, well, he's from Latvia and they don't put a team into like the junior Europeans because there's not enough players. So nobody's ever seen him, but he's like ready to go right now. Yeah. He just needed a chance. Yeah. Yeah, man. It, yeah, that must be, that's kind of the, the sort of privilege of being from one of these countries that has a built up sort of program. Like if you're good, if you're a good player, you'll get a chance every four years yeah, or every five or three years as it has ended up skewing. But yeah, man, like it's, it's, it, it'd be so, so horrible to be that talented and play for a national team that didn't get it done. And yeah, you just not be able to get involved every four years, like just having to watch from the sidelines. You could pull the move that the um, what was the guy's name who was the in the able-bodied Olympics, the American guy playing for Slovenia. Ah, uh, Toby. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, look, I'm not going to play for the states. Whoever hands me a passport, I will be the most bog-standard starting center who could ever play for you. <laughs> but Slovenia, are like, hey, we just need this one guy to play with our good guy, and it'll be great. Yeah. Can you catch a cool pass on the roll? Yes. All right, cool. Meet Luca. Luca, meet this guy. I think they were teammates in Europe, weren't they? I think that's kind of where it happened. Um, he is... So Clement Prepolic is Slovenian and he plays for Valencia, which is where Mike Toby also plays. So ah, yes. I assume that Prepolic has just been like, hey, look, man, you're a nice guy and all, but you're not going to play for the USA come over here, take this Slovenian citizenship questionnaire, which is, can you catch a cool pass on the roll? Here's your passport, and away we go. Yeah, it, but it's like, that's a fever rule that you're allowed one nationalised player. Is it nationalised? Yeah. Is that the naturalised? Sorry. Naturalized, which is literally just like, you're allowed to just have one guy that isn't from there, which is yeah, hilarious. The rule kind of makes sense because everyone who's good enough to play for their own country almost definitely is. So yeah, not like you're going to swing the scales massively by like roping in one guy from a different country. Yeah, it'd be super weird if you just randomly had like in two years time, we figured out that like Zion just didn't feel that sort of affinity towards his country and was like, Bah. Like did played it like a club, and he was like, "Nah, man, Luca seems like a lot of fun to play <laughs> with. Get this Mike Toby guy in the bin. I'm coming." That'll be the. Um, I wonder if the the whole NBA player player empowerment move will ever will ever shift that far. Is like guys looking at the FIBA level and be like, "Hey, get me this passport for these four years. We'll go yeah, settle, and then I'll shift on." That's that's mad that the FIBA player empowerment era when you've got Rich Paul who's got like he's got a plug in the passport office of Latvia like <laughs> that'd be absolutely absurd for all those guys uh, queuing up to play with Chris Porzingis. Yes. Okay. Here's a here's a you watched a lot of games question. I did watch a lot of games. Thing jump out at you like stylistically in terms of like ah oh, the game's a bit different internationally than it has been or um the most obvious example is the fact that the chinese women play like the swedish juniors from when we were growing up um outside of that japan's ability to make it work in the men's game i think between japan and germany having kind of figured out the three-point shooting balance way more than anyone has in the kind of previous tournaments I've ever seen, I think made a real difference. Um, yeah. You guys went up against Germany. I think they hit eight, eight threes in the first half or something ridiculous like that. I feel like Tommy hit them all. Um, yeah. I thought it was like seven or eight in the game. Oh, that might have been it. it was, yeah, um, I think it was seven in the game or it, something, but I was, was still like, wow. It was something like they they'd hit seven or eight by the time you guys hit one was a, a stat I remember seeing, but I don't know at what point in the game that was probably. Yeah. I think they were just like there's a thing of like a lot of people shoot threes in wheelchair basketball like situationally like they'll run yeah. sets for threes or they'll be like hey we're down by this much we need a three or hey there's an opportunity for a two for one or time wise it makes sense to shoot threes but also just they're one of the teams that are just letting them fly like just yeah. for fun which is yeah. super cool. And it's such a heartbreaker, man. Like, cause we had like, as like, as GB, like we had those runs to come back against 
Australia and the USA. And it's just like every time someone scores a three, it's so much further away from you, it feels like. Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? Um, I did think the kind of, it's not even really the, the commonality in the game. It's more the fact that I think teams have always, we were talking about Turkey a minute ago, they're probably the prime example. So many teams have operated from the idea of we have this one guy who shoots threes either when we need it or when they feel like it. Mm-hmm. There would easily be Turkey games where Gerbalak would shoot 15 threes and nobody else would even attempt one. Yeah. Um, so the kind of the spread in the wealth at the moment between there's Japanese games where it was like Hiro was shooting them, uh, Chokai was shooting them for his hour. And then I think there's even a, another guy as well. But teams seem to be ha- putting multiple three point shooters out there a lot more than I've ever seen before. And yeah. there was games where it didn't do a great deal. And then there was games where it really swung it, which was you guys versus mm-hmm. Germany was the prime example of that. Yeah. Yeah. Tommy, Tommy Bowman just had like an unbelievable, he had an unbelievable first few games. But like against us, I was just like, watching it being like I know we have the run in us to come back from this but man if he if he keeps hitting the way he is like I don't know like that was one of the greatest like tough shot hitting performances I'd ever seen and I always remember I think it was Joe Bestwick said a couple of years ago about about Tommy when we were calling one of their games in Poland he was like yeah this guy's like one of the best tough shot makers I've ever seen like he's a good shooter but like specifically like he has like a higher percentage of mad shots that people struggle to hit like and it's it's a weird it's like a nba 2k badge where it's like this guy just hits the mad ones but he just (laughs) wasn't cooled down against us yeah yeah i think that that was probably the um the biggest difference in watching as well i think for whatever reason on both sides uh, you talked a second ago about you guys having kind of always feeling like you had a run in you. The runs in the games, for whatever reason, see, always felt so much more extended than I ever remember. It felt so much more like any kind of eight to two burst was about primed to turn into, you know, 14 six or, or scale up from there. I don't yeah. think that's kind of more balanced scoring ability around the world now or if it's a symptom of teams having not played games as much and not been able to drag themselves back in when runs happen or probably some combination of the two. Yeah, probably. Um, that's interesting. Like, Did it feel like that when you were, did it feel like when a team went on a run or when you guys went on a run, was it always like this could go on for either, you know, we could finish now or this could go on for the rest of the quarter? Um. I don't know if I had my finger on the pulse of anything apart from just like, ah, no, when another team was going to run against us or like, here we go, boys, when we started going on one. But I, I like, and I think it's like, I have less sweeping sort of opinions on the state of the game in general and more like yeah, every time we went down, I was like, we're going to have a run. Yeah. Every time, especially like our five starters, I was like, We'll find it. And I think even the games we lost, man, like Japan absolutely took it to us. And then I think we did our hero ball stuff at the end of the game. Just they scored along with it. So it didn't matter. Like we had our run where it was like we scored in a bunch, but we didn't stop them either. But also like they hit mad stuff while we were like we were going on that run. And then hero was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm coming with you. Um, So it's not like even... He matched you guys like shot for shot for the entire first three minutes of the fourth quarter or whatever it was. Which is, I think, when we would have made that. But that is, like, as I say, offensively, we did make that push as we always did. And I was like, I believed in it. But it was one of those, like, the same with Tommy hitting those shots. Like, Hero hit a couple that I was like, if he score in, like, you can't can't chip away when someone's scoring every time or nearly every time. And it's not... That wasn't even a knock on what we did defensively. That was just like he hit some mad stuff. Like yeah. he hit that three to open the fourth quarter that was just like someone jumped him, spins away, spins away, spins away. Like it's like he turned over each shoulder like six times it felt like, and it wasn't. But I was like, oh, here we go. But 
Yeah, wasn't to be. They were Japan absolutely blew me away all tournament. Like I, I was really, really impressed. Yeah, I think it's um I obviously spoke to you a lot as as games were going on, spoke to Ben a good bit as well. And I think maybe perhaps wrongly now, but there's some element of human nature when obviously you guys had had the um the close game against Australia and then Japan pulled the upset of Australia in the quarterfinal game. Mm-hmm. And there was some element of not even so much from you guys, but I think just from anybody who was looking at how it worked out, who was like, that's potentially an easier matchup. Like you said, similar to, um, you know, losing against teams you've lost against before and whatever else. Um, it's a lot easier to go up against a team fresh rather than have to kind of uncover the old wound and play the team that you just squeaked by in a one point game. So Japan almost seemed like a more favorable matchup in that sense. But yeah. that they were even more for real than than they proved themselves to be by beating beating Australia. Um and like I say, you guys always have a run in you, but I think they were just the the better team on the day and for the kind of couple of days over the tournament at that point. Oh yeah, like we spoke about it afterwards and it was like they beat us. Like yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> they just came out and beat us in a basketball game, which is all we're trying to do, like, or all we're trying to avoid. And it's like, it's not, we messed this up or they like, we're absolutely out of their mind with this thing or that thing. It was like, they just beat us over a 40 minute game yeah. and fair play, man. Cause I think it's one of those things like a team like that isn't for real until they've kind of like already done it. And yeah. like they have now. So we're looking back being like, yeah, that was a real thing. But up until that point, it was like, I feel like, and we were right to like, I feel like we kind of believed that we could have, could have won that game and we, uh, we could win that game at the time and we could have. So like not unjustified, but fair play to them. They, they just beat the life out of us. And I think there's that thing of once you're chasing a game, you kind of have to widen your margin for error and the way they play so quickly and so high pressure on the defensive end and, how quickly they transition, like you kind of have to put yourself out there a little bit more. And every time you do, they'll make you pay like a hundred percent of the time that you make a mistake. They will like, they'll turn the ball over and get a layup on the other end, like, cause they're so quick. So there's no, like, ah, if we turn it over, they're playing two ones and we might be able to get back and like, let them know that no, just every time you mess it up, they had two more points. So it was like really, really high stakes chasing the game at the end. But Nah, man, like they were unbelievable. They blew me away. And the fact that they could press with like three or four different units makes what they do really, really hard to counteract because there's a thing of like, if you can just break through this lineup and then they get tired or they sub it back out or whatever, but it's just like, oh, this press isn't working. We'll sub these guys in and we'll press with this lineup. Or, you know, even if their press is working, but you can kind of defend them in the half court really well because they've got five guys with like a bit worse of an offensive balance. The fact that they had sort of multiple different options and different ways to break things up and different changes to make while still pressing. I was like, wow, that's, that's really high level stuff. Fair play to them. Yeah. Being able to find the balance while sacrificing almost nothing defensively, (laughs) you'd struggle to find a coach who wouldn't sign themselves up for a team that fit that description. Yeah. That's the dream. That Um, is. So just we're jumping around all over the place a little bit, but I think this is just kind of reflective of the state of the tournament. So for that loss in the semifinal, in let I won't put words in your guys' mouth, but in a game that going into it was very much one that you guys could have could have taken. What's yeah. the bounce back process and kind of the prepping to go up against a team you all know a lot better than Japan in? Spain who you know there's former teammates there's current teammates there's future teammates kind of up and down the roster for you guys um and you've obviously played Spain a bunch of times before what's the the thought process in getting back to that and salvaging the bronze um it's it's always a really tough game to play in because you have a really quick turnaround where you like put so much into getting through a semi-final and then you don't so it's the whole thing is like, can you turn yourself back around in a day and a half? 
or two days. Like we finished that game late one night and I don't think any of us slept till four or five in the morning. Like some of us did, didn't sleep at all. We had a day of training and then you had to go again. Our game was 10 a.m. the day after that. So it's like finish the game. Everyone kind of get a bit of food in. Do what you have to do. It's that thing of like, you still have to recover. You still have another basketball game to play and whatever it is, basically it's whatever. And Spain had to do the same thing after the USA beat them. Whatever you have to do to feel better than the other team going into that game, you do it. Like whether that's physio, whether that's just disconnecting, whether that's looking after your head, whatever it is, like we had a meeting the day after and just kind of spoke about it and then drew a line under it. Cause you have to like, I have reopened that box since we've won the bronze medal and been like, ah, man, we could have won that game. But at the time, it's like, figure it out or try to figure out how you're feeling, put it in a box, push it away, and get ready for a different basketball game. Like, it's really hard to not take the baggage of, the semi-final into the bronze medal game and be like, oh, well, this went wrong, like whatever, like what what went wrong against Japan isn't necessarily a point that you need to remember for Spain. So you kind of just have to draw a line under it, park it, and do whatever you need to do to physically, mentally, tactically prepare for playing the next game. And I think we were pretty good at doing that because there was a little bit of like just having to pick each other up and the people who weren't, not everyone was taking it badly, but the people who were able to sort of push through it, who had been there before, who were like the leaders or even just any of the younger guys that were able to feel okay about it, you kind of have a responsibility to try and bring everyone else along for the ride. Um, like, you know, figure out who needs to hear a laugh and a joke, who just needs a chat, like who you need to go and have a cup of coffee with and talk to about whatever it was. And then it's just like, get on with it and try and win a basketball game because after that, there's a real feeling of like, hey, like we have done far too much to not bring anything home because apparently yeah. it fourth feels infinitely worse than third, obviously, yeah, but just because you're not bringing anything home. Yeah. Like at least bronze, you get to, like you feel better probably on the last day of the tournament winning bronze than you do winning silver because you lose yeah. silver technically. Yeah. Um, like you lose gold, um, which is really stupid because like Japan did better than us. But like for that day, <laughs> they might've been like, ah, crap yeah because they could have won that final but um yeah the process is just pick us up try and get ready again because as i say like we had a full day where we went and had a meeting game plan did some video then we went to a basketball court and like did a really light shooting session and or did we i don't remember i don't remember at this stage think we did. um which is mad um and then yeah like we were up at seven the day after like yeah you know what i mean you don't really it's kind of good like you don't get too much time to dwell on it but you don't you really don't get any time at all yeah no that's cool man but you you guys obviously um you pull it out against spain where like say if the difference is it in a way i can imagine how the the third fourth game feels even more high stakes than the gold medal game because it's the difference between you know, it's the, it's the last spot on the on the podium that's up for grabs, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah, you guys pulled out against Spain. You've come home with bronze. Um, so I get, there's two questions here. I'll let you pick what you want to go with first. A, what was the... What are the points from the tournament that you can, like, crystallise in your mind and be like, these are probably what I'll remember? Or secondly... How good has it been coming home and showing your medal off to everybody? Um, I'll go in reverse. So the homecoming has been really special. Obviously, haven't seen Anna, haven't seen any of my family for guts of a month, I think. Yeah. So that was, you know, coming like getting home was a long time coming. Um, so that was amazing. And like I had people show up and sort of clap at the airport and I've done little bits of media and stuff since, and the support's been really cool. And I think that kind of bangs home how big a Paralympics is compared to another 
event like it's something that everyone understands yeah which is mad but yeah come on in. um it's something that like um it's it's like something that people kind of understand is a big event more than say a world championships or whatever but it was it was really really special and then in terms of things that have crystallized about the whole tournament like what Gaz Chardry did was absolutely unbelievable. Like yeah. having to play or coach, having to play and coach the whole way through this was absolutely mind blowing. Like what he did was in, like insane. Like it was obviously a real shame. Of it. It's public knowledge now that Hajj, um, our coach, got COVID, so wasn't able to travel. But um, what Gaz had to do, stepping up, was unreal like i don't i don't know if there are many people that would have been able to do that successfully like i think there would have been people who would have been able to like maybe split their efforts 70 30 or 60 40 maybe you know there would have been players who could have also called a timeout and then gone okay coach's hat on yeah but doing both is just yeah. unbelievable like absolutely amazing um that's one of the things that I think will stick with me. Um, and a lot of it's just like being a part of this group was an absolute privilege as well, man. Like just being, being involved from early doors sort of up until now, like getting through all of that was absolutely unbelievable. Like getting through all the mad stuff and all the COVID protocols and every other country in the world had to do all this stuff too. But like, getting all the way there and bringing something home after all the stuff that everyone went through collectively and individually was just like, I don't know. Ian Seagar said before one of the games, he basically was like, and I don't know if we hadn't come away with anything, we might've still said it was all worth it. But he basically was like, Hey, we've done two years of absolute madness for this game. Like, are we going to bring something home? Are we going to have something to show for it? Is it all going to be worth it? And it's like, I don't know, maybe if we didn't win something, I would have said that all the mad stuff was worth it anyway for the experience, but I'm yeah, certainly yeah. glad that I don't have to yeah. consider it's, that. It's nice to not have to um, address that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. whether I would have to whether I would have to lie to myself or not is is an interesting one. <laughs> is your dad still tinkering around? Because I feel like we've got a um, we've got a potential next parent bombing on um, on bench units here. Yeah. Uh, no, he just he just dipped out. Um, but yeah, he's he's disappeared again. He walked in, and I think, yeah, he goes to work soon. And I think he was just like, "Can I come in?" I was like, "Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> Don't do anything." I probably should have not been in this room, considering that it's coming to like five o'clock, and this is where everyone does everything in the house. But you know, we'll get we'll get out of here soon. Um, yeah. So that's kind of. I think that's covered off a lot of your kind of ups and downs of the journey in regards to the fact you, we did the predictions um, episode, the first, the last episode you did before the Paralympics, I think. Um, I think one or both of us, I can't remember. I called you guys to lose to both the USA and Australia and finish third in the pools and make your way through from there. Saga. Yeah. you got me <laughs> well, yeah i didn't the thing is when um I did do you when the draw was um and all the top four teams ended up in the one pool and we got an instagram question about how tough it was going to be for gb and when i replied to that and said well they get benefit of the doubt because they're the world champions I got, oh yeah got a, a laughing face emoji from jake williams of the usa and then when uh, when gb finished the group i was and finish top i was going to reply back and be like huh it's not not that funny then is it but then the usa obviously went on to win gold (laughs) yeah they did it that's what i would say about like any trash talk or whatever like you've just got to be ready for any sort of blowback and like they went and got it done again so like congrats to those guys that was the hell of a tournament and steve having such a game to finish it off as well was yeah, that was mad. really 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 impressive man because they were in some trouble like he really dug them out of a hole yeah. Um, they were they were under some serious pressure from what Japan were doing defensively, and they they dug it out and they fully deserved it. And 
fair play i just realized that we haven't spoken about the fact that they won the whole thing yet and yeah no it, well, it isn't um, like i i would never want this podcast to be accused of being like too pro gb anti anyone else because like i'm just pro oh, basketball God. and fair play you guys went and did it so yeah shout out to I, you guys enjoy i think it, it's um the USA, it doesn't really feel like it because they lost that group game relatively early on. And it, so it felt like it was on their resume for the tournament for a long time. But they were effectively a one-point loss away from having come, from having been undefeated on the way to two straight gold medals. Like They've won two straight Paralympic golds and the only loss on the whole thing was one point to you guys, which is, is pretty nuts. Um, yeah they were one it's it's real sad looking at it because like obviously us losing in the semi-final to a team that then played a team that we had already played and beaten like we would have fancied our chances in the final as well but that's the thing like i've spoken to people about it and it's like japan beat us fair and square so we don't get to you don't like you get to want that game you get to want that game back but you don't get it back like it would have been and obviously like that's not to say that other teams don't adjust like being one point away from beating someone i'm sure they fancied their chances to make some adjustments and have us in the final but we would have come with some stuff as well but as i say we don't get to that's the sad thing about it you you kind of don't get to do that so yeah i mean i think i think you guys showed at every point of the tournament really that you you guys could hang with any team at the very least and like you said earlier you always had that run in you but I think there's a reasonable argument that the USA showed themselves to have the highest floor and at least equal highest ceiling in the tournament. Like they, yeah. they like I said, had some trouble with Japan, but in terms of kind of strength and numbers and stuff, were just able to get it done in basically every game apart from the, the one point drop to, to yourselves. Um, but yeah, congratulations to them. And I guess there's, there's at least a couple of those guys moving on. Um, that I think is is public knowledge at this point. I think Serio said it's most likely going to be his last, yeah, last Paralympics. Uh, <laughs> what a way to go out, first of all. Yeah, what a what a little what a way to sort of rubber stamp the whole the whole resume. Like unbelievable, like one of the greatest to ever do it. Obviously, so yeah. Okay. yeah. Shout out to that guy. Good luck to whatever. Good luck for whatever's next. But yeah, yeah. Even if that's not done, man. Like considering that Steve. Um, only came back to playing in the German league like halfway through the season and then had that one, that two possession run where he made a shot in the Champions Cup final and then tipped away the inbound pass for a steal and like sealed the game up for Landil. And then with Team USA in trouble in the Paralympic final, he pulled it out then as well. It's like that's about as good of a six month stretch to, you know, ride off in, into the sunset on as, as anybody I can think of having. Yeah, coming back in and being like, hey, in case you all forgot, I'm not yeah. like, cool. All right, see you later. Don't ever forget again. I don't think anyone ever forgot, obviously, but yeah, unbelievable. Fair play. Yeah. Um, I don't know so, who else, but like interesting to see in the next while. Yeah, I think Tarek is most likely um, is most likely packing it in from what I've heard, I think. Okay, great career once again. Yeah, well, I think that's but he's been winding down gradually over the last couple of years, hasn't he? And then I, I think there was even some speculation about whether he was going to play at this Paralympics or not. And then he obviously just showed up at their camp. He was like, oh, go on, then I'll, I'll jump in my chair and see what happens. School people a bit more like he's always done. I was like, yeah, I'm still pretty good. Yeah, they brought him in and they were like, can you still hit every shot? And he was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know, but yes. Um, yeah, so I think. Into the USA is maybe an interesting inflection point for the future because they they've obviously been at the top for a few years now. A couple of guys are on the way out. Japan look like they're on the way up until someone says otherwise. Um, Australia is the other big one, man. I don't. They came out to start the pool stages looking gangbusters and then either ran into matchups they couldn't get on with or kind of lost composure. They, I don't know. They didn't seem to have the kind of high floor that I thought they would do. I don't know what feelings were inside the village. Um, yeah, I don't really know, man. Um, they're obviously like full of talent. Um, and yeah, they just didn't get it done. Like they were like 
really close against us. Um, who else did they bring it close with? Like the good couple of good group games. Obviously, the USA yeah. beat them fairly well. Um, that was the day after we beat the USA, I think. So they were kind of out for making a bit of a statement, um, which might have just been unfortunate timing. But um, yeah, man, they looked really, really good. And they, I don't know, the whole thing with their game against Japan, it was like, okay, who's going to out-hustle the other team? Like, who's who's like high-octane, high-pressure, really physical style of basketball is going to come out on top? And I really thought I, I my money was on Australia, but didn't pull it out in the end. So, yeah, man, I don't know who's, I don't really know who's old enough or who's been around long enough that they're thinking about yeah. finishing, but... My money would be on some combination of Stibner's, Tristan Knowles and Sean Norris to call it a day in, in some format or other, but I don't know how many. Yeah. Oh, it seems like a very Aussie thing to just be determined to carry on for forever, doesn't it? So maybe they'll maybe they'll all be back. But uh, Yeah, I think the thing is with wheelchair basketball, you can kind of stick around for a bit longer and it's just whether people look at it and they either don't want to do another three years or they look at their performance and they can pinpoint the fact that like, you know, maybe we look at someone and we go, they just didn't get it done. Whereas they're like, Hey, I couldn't physically do what I used to. Like, you know, there might be guys that are just like, I was too tired to finish this game off or like, I like my shoulders packed in. And so I wasn't able to get that to where it used to be. Like there might be some stuff that people know within themselves and like, Hey, I can't give hundred percent anymore. And I think that's a point where people might want to step away, but obviously I don't have a clue. Sure. Um, Shall we hit the women's side very briefly and then we'll probably call it a day because it looks like there'll be more people wanting to use your dad's kitchen. Yes. Okay. So women's game, congrats to the Netherlands who are now the everything champions. (laughs) Um, Paralympic world, European championship. I say everything, everything they're eligible for. They're not going to win the Pans anytime soon Um, unless there's a massive shift in some sort of geography and the Netherlands floats away. I think you should, um, when you're a champion of all three things, you can legitimately be the winner of, there should be something like, what's the thing called, you know, from all the Avengers movies, the bad guy has that glove that he wants to put all the powerful stones in. It's like a, a gauntlet or something like that. Yeah, gauntlet. Yeah, there should be some some like overarching thing that all the all the smaller medals slot into to make like a finished picture because it's i don't know how how often it happens but i can't think of time while i've been watching that anyone has been the reigning world paralympics and regional champs um i don't know i don't know if canada did it in the last decade i don't think so like Uh, because it went world has always been a bit oh, weird. That, maybe Australia, like the, that's the only one I can think is Australia from Beijing through to 2010 Worlds because they won that as well. That might have been the last thing that happened. Yeah. Interestingly, there's a weird number of similarities between the Dutch women and that era of the Australian men's team in terms of like style of play. It's actually pretty similar. Which is a bit yeah, funny. yeah, you're right. Maybe that is the formula. Um, yeah, the, the women's competition I really enjoyed, man. The <laughs> the formula is coaches with some sort of strapping on their lower extremities. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, the the women's competition I thought was really good. Um I think everyone knew the Netherlands and the USA were up there. China seemed like the kind of team that makes it to the fifth seed in the NBA playoffs, wins one game to open the playoff round and everyone's like, oh, they might have a chance against the favorite team and then they get obliterated. But that just never, never came round. Like they just ground yeah. into dust until, until, um, until the final where the Netherlands were like, hey, we're three feet taller than you on average. But yeah, that's one thing that like, I'm glad obviously before we spoke about it, we were both a bit like, I don't know, man, trying to do well in Hamburg. Yeah. They could be another team that could do something. I'm glad that, oh, I don't think we, made enough of a deal about it but i'm no, glad that we not. at least mentioned it so we could be like hey we told you but 
I don't know, man. I thought they were like good team that could give a team that I actually thought was legit some trouble. And then they held the Netherlands scoreless for a full quarter in the groups. And I was like, oh man, these guys are for real. I was like, this is absolutely insane. And they have that like low pointer that would just hit everything from like 15 to 18 feet down the middle, like just inside the three point line. She was absolutely money. I apologize for not having her name in front of me, but yeah, um, yeah, we're going to learn. I thought they were really good. I found myself wondering as I watched them how, replicable that style of play is uh, massively like they play the most basic well, this, style of this is it it's it seems so obvious as the solution but if it's so obvious to do why are they the first team that like there's there's not been a team men's or women's i don't think it's as replicable in the men's because there's more shooting range um like if you're a really good highline defense teams still tend to have at least one or two people with three-point range who can get a shot up over the top for an extended defense. Yeah. In the women's game, I, they, I don't know what the formula was other than play really good chair defense and squeak out just enough offense to win, but they might be the best team I've ever seen at doing that. Yeah, they play really slow on both ends, and I think one of the massive parts of their formula, formula that isn't instantly sort of repeatable is never miss on the offensive end, like just swish every 15 footer that you but, ever well, get. You say never miss, but they also had games they won by scoring like 36 points. <laughs> That's not never missing. No, I know, I know. But it was one of those that it's like you looked at the scoreboard and it's 36, 31 at the end of the or the middle of the fourth quarter, and you're like, why does it feel like every time a team that I want to beat them is trying to get a stop why do i feel like they just score yeah. every time but it's like it's just kind of knowing yourself is a lot of it they're like hey man we're gonna win this on defense and the usa kind of did the same on the other end too they just fully committed to trying win games defensively and did yeah it's um yeah it is interesting because it i think that's the thing with the chinese game games is you saying it felt like they never missed but when the scores are in the 30s to decide a game two made baskets in a row feels like one team has just put themselves out of reach of like the opponent completely. It feels like yeah. they missed in the entire span of the game as soon as they get two stops and two scores. And it's like, oh, this has gone to six points. Well, that's out of reach against China. Yeah, it's a thing of like, you go into the fourth quarter and you're like, man, like we're only down 11. If we can just go on a run of, oh, 48% of the points we've already scored in three quarters. You know what I mean? Like you're saying you've got 23 for the full game and you're down 11 and you're like, if we can just, you can't like. If you could just do that, you would have done it by now. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, but um, yeah, it was really interesting to watch. That. And I thought the, um, I thought the USA, ever that whole kind of second tier of the um, women's competition between like the USA, Germany, and Canada, who finished fifth, I think. Yeah. There's there's real players there. Like, obviously, you knew all about Rose from having played with her. But there's, yeah, shout out Rose, bronze medalist. Yeah, congratulations, Rose. Vehement uh, follower of bench units, more so than I ever realized, apparently. She'll listen to this in like three months. But yeah, cool. She'll live. Um, but yeah, I thought the kind of whole USA, Germany, Canada tier was actually really good watching. And like... Canada are definitely the strongest women's team to ever place fifth in a major competition. Like you could go, oh, yeah. you could go back four years, and that Canada team might have had a crack at gold or silver. Like the women's game is so much deeper than it's it's been up to this. Oh point. yeah, they were they were amazing. Like they were, I think because obviously we were following the GB women, we saw them first game of the tournament. And we're like, oh yeah, these guys are legit. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man. That the first stat line hands. of the entire the first stat line of the entire tournament was um Katie Dandano with 32, 19, and eleven or something. Like, yeah, like Will like Chamberlain numbers. Bizarre. <laughs> yeah. What was going on? Um, but yeah, watching the women's side of things was great. Um GB girls, I think everyone's posted about it at this point and said what a tough time it's been. I don't think there's Anything more for us to heap on top of that at this point, other than the 
they've got a few people headed abroad enough to kind of do their own ventures and whatnot. So we can hope from kind of our side and obviously getting good guests on or whatever else, we hope they take that next step back to where they should be and, you know, get the program back to where they obviously want it to be. But it looks like it's going to be a, a tough trail with how much the women's game's improved. Yeah, man. Yeah, I think yeah, that's the thing. Like, obviously, that's the grand majority of the women's players that we know yeah. are yeah. Team GB girls. So just obviously, like every, I was going to say, like every country's gone through a hell of a lot in the last yeah. two years. But I know, like some of the GB women's players have gone through a lot, like personally and yeah. privately, and they've had a hell of a run to get here. And it was just a real shame to see that they couldn't get it done at the time. But I just say, hopefully. Good thing is there's not much of I don't I hope it can be a good thing that there's not much of a turnaround till the next tournament. So hopefully they can pick back up and do a job in December and then again next summer. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So before we close out, I don't know if you'll have seen this. You I'm sure you'll have seen this first bit, but MVPs of the competition, Mariska on the women's side. About as obvious as you could have called. Yep. Chokai on the men's side which i think japan in general probably deserves an mvp but i think it's kind of a, a newcomer on the scene award for yeah extent, but it's very well deserved so- yeah like that was almost like they don't have an, a most improved player award so yeah, yeah no, he was unbelievable like absolutely class i i don't know whether obviously you look at the whole tournament and like he had 20 something eight and eight against us so like like even value in terms of the the rest of the tournament, like that was absolutely incredible. But I I don't know, obviously, like if you were giving it out for finals MVP, like Steve obviously gets sure. gets the nod, but yeah. for like value over the tournament in terms of bringing a team from ninth in Hamburg? Yes. Up to second ninth in the world. Ninth in Hamburg, 11th in Rio, I think was how it panned out. Yeah, like unbelievable, like having that sort of impact. And like he was obviously like I thought Hero was one of the people that kind of drove their success more than anyone. But like him being a massive part of all these different units and his his jump up is what kind of. Yeah, the X factor. Them. So, yeah, I have absolutely no problems with that. So someone sent me a screen. We'll close on this, but I'll, I'll see if you've seen this already. Someone sent me a screenshot and I literally can't wrap my head around this. So there is either now or prior to the Paralympics, there is a Renchi Chokai fan page on Instagram, which I thought was a bit nuts because I don't think any wheelchair basketball player has that that I'm aware of. So I had, I had a quick dig and I do my best to not use social media following as a metric of any kind, but I will give you a stab at how many followers Chokai has on Instagram. 6,000. So for context, our guy Matt Scott is in eight thousand five hundred range. So I checked. I checked Chalk Eyes the other day when someone sent me a screenshot. I'll, I checked it again a f- couple of days later, and there was a two thousand up cr- increase in that wow. span. The sit looking at it right now, he's had another bump up. So he's now at forty nine point six. Oh my god! What? I, I can't believe it. I've had conversations before of like who's got the biggest following for a wheelchair basketball player in the world. It's him by like yeah, like well, it's not five times over. It's like co- comically wide openly. Uh, wow. But yeah, that's nuts, man. Like I, I obviously don't know how much of that's happened before or since the Paralympics, but that is, if that's not a sign that the game is growing, I really don't know what is. So that's good news for everybody involved, I think. That's a lot. Yeah, fair play. Um, well done, Tim. Um, yeah, I think we'll get out of here at this point then. Um, I guess we will potentially next podcast when you are the newly minted Mr. McSorley to a newly minted Mrs. McSorley. Yes, I don't think I don't think I have to change much about my name, but yeah. Cool. cool. Yeah, so we, you'll probably be here by the time we do a podcast again, so that's fun. So, yeah. Looking forward to it, man. If I don't speak to you before, which I definitely will, because we can go a matter of hours before speaking to each other. Cool. Um, yeah, everybody, thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed having James back. If not, give us a shout and we'll get Mendel on 
as a recurring guest and he can take turns replacing either of us. Yeah, honestly, I enjoyed listening to Mendel so much that if, and also I'm deeply wounded by anything negative anyone has to say about you, <laughs> that if you were like, hey man, we preferred Mendel, I think I would like take the step back and, and just exactly. let, him, let him have it. Executive so, producer James McSorley at that point. Yeah, I would just produce, which for this is actually just hitting record. Like yeah. your name, t- your full title is getting very long if it's going to be Paralympic bronze medalist, executive producer <laughs> James McSorley. When you, yeah, philanthropist, billionaire. You, you should read that out when it's your vows. You're like, I, Paralympic bronze medalist James McSorley. Thank you. God. No. Uh, no. No, that's not what that's about. Let's get out of it. Thanks very much for listening, guys. It's good to be back. Thanks for listening. It's been a pleasure. Peace out.